Welcome to The Fangirl Business, a supernatural podcast. The information presented in this podcast is intended to be for entertainment and educational purposes only. It should never be used in place of advice given by a mental health or medical professional or as a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are struggling with a mental health issue, please seek treatment from a mental health professional in your area. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Fangirl Business. I'm Catherine. And I'm Krisha. And today we are back to talk about more promotion, trailer, hoopla, shenanigans ahead of the first episode of The Winchesters. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to define this episode. It's just like stuff on our mind, kind of. Yeah, it's sort of new stuff that we figured out or saw since the last time that we had an episode come out, which wasn't that long ago. So (laughs) (laughs) we've been getting a lot of stuff over the past week and a half. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're releasing a new trailer every other day at this stage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And lots of people are doing a lot of thinking, which has gotten us doing a lot of thinking. So it's a miscellaneous things that we've noticed. (laughs) Yep episode they really are starting to lean into the promotion and really starting to hit some emotional points for the supernatural fans they're leaning hard on what they know gets us in the feels (laughs) (laughs) which is mean but smart it's really fun to think about and play with and maybe not theorize but just think about wow wouldn't it be cool if Yeah, just sort of go on some flights of fancy. I find exploring ideas about what could happen is fun. Absolutely. So I think we'll be doing a lot of that. Of course, we don't know where they're going to go with things, but it's exciting to imagine. But you know, the first thing is the thing that is real and did happen. Yes. uh, Which is Carrie on Wayward Son being used in a trailer, which is like, how dare you? How (laughs) dare you? (laughs) I was not expecting that to be what you said. (laughs) We have a complicated relationship, you and I, and I know many others Mm -hmm. with that song now, because it was used so bizarrely in the finale, in that it wasn't the montage at the beginning, as it always had been since like season two. But it was used later in the episode back to back with a cover of it in such a weird way. (laughs) And so um, I know that for me personally, it's made it really hard to listen to that song. It doesn't have that joy and connectiveness that it had pre-finale. Now it's just like, ah, I associate that with pain. Yes, very much so. (laughs) We talked about in our emotional reaction episode that I had seen so many people say like they didn't even play carry on. Mm -hmm. People were so traumatized they couldn't even hear that the song was happening on their screens. Twice. Back to back in this like who does that who does that people were so deeply embedded in their trauma responses to dean dying at that stage that i think it just got associated with dean's death Mm -hmm. and with dean's isolation and then you know with sam going through his crappy life with that cover of it it made it so that every time i heard it i got mad yeah it was sam's death too because he went through his life and then he died and right. so yeah it was very mixed up with death in yeah. a way that yeah that was just really painful so there was an association built there yeah and i know it says there'll be peace when you're done but like i mean is there is there though yeah <laughs> And it didn't mean that they had to die. I mean, right. you can have peace in life mm-hmm. some, sometimes. Um. <laughs> no peace for us, certainly. N- no peace for us. <laughs> so it was really interesting because we listened to the new trailer separately from each other. And I was like, what? They, they, there's something different about it. Yeah. Uh, why am I feeling excited? What no. is going on? Tell me about what your feelings were when you heard it. Yeah, I was like, I liked that that was exciting what's what did they do what happened yeah I was very confused and then we both came on and we're like did you did you kind of like that (laughs) we were both 
I'm like, yes, we did. What what alchemy has happened in this trailer to make us feel excited about this song? Like, yeah. what is going on? I was like, oh, it's changed. It's slightly different. Mm-hmm. They've done something to it musically. Yeah. I was like, it's lighter. It doesn't have the weight of the original that now feels so heavy. I was like, they made it lighter. How did they make it lighter? Because I don't music. So that's not... <laughs> That's not my area. So then you really did some analysis on it, yeah? Yeah, I did. So I separated out the people speaking in the trailer Mm -hmm. from the music. And then I just listened to it over and over and over again. What I think that they did that's really cool is they kept elements of the original recording. The intro is basically a minute (laughs) in the original song, and then it goes into the piano where he starts singing. But what they did for the trailer was they started it with the piano, but with no vocals. And they added in these instruments. They added in a deep bass electronic note. So not from like an electric bass, but like an electronically generated sound that's really, really low and resonant under the piano. Once I rose above the noise and confusion, just to get a glimpse beyond this illusion, I was soaring ever higher. And then they continue to build. So they added in like a more resonant percussion, kind of almost like a bass drum. So it has, again, more resonance with it. And they added in percussion that was slightly different from the original. And then they added in these really dramatic pauses. And when it Mm, comes to mm -hmm. the place where they go into the chorus, you can hear the original vocals but they've got a full friggin' pipe organ <laughs> playing <laughs> along with the vocals, which is different from that electronic organ. And if you've ever heard of pipe organ, Phantom of the Opera, I just loved it just for that prologue mm-hmm. music. <laughs> mm-hmm. As a kid, I would like crank that stuff on the speakers because it's such a resonant, full sound. And so it just alters the feel of the entire thing. Yeah, right? They added in these fresh elements while retaining elements of the original recording. It creates this new sound that's familiar but different, which I mean, what a way to celebrate the prequel for an established franchise, right? Absolutely. There's all of that. And I think part of the reason, too, that I got excited about it is because when I'm writing, I'm always looking for music to write to and epic music or like trailer music is a genre. Hmm. 
I did not know that. Yeah, it's a whole thing. So if you listen to advertisements for superhero movies, epic kind of stories, they'll often have this kind of music underneath it. And it's really characterized by those deep electronic bass notes and then those dramatic pauses in the music. It'll be sort of going da 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 pause and you're kind of on the edge of your seat waiting like what's going to happen next and then it comes in with fuller music it has a lot of percussion in it that builds and gradual layering of instruments so the whole thing will feel like it's building to something and then typically at the height of the music that's when you'll add in vocals it's a cool genre to listen to because it makes you feel sort of anticipatory or excited Just the way that they build and layer and add things and have these pauses that are kind of out of blue that throw you off of what you were expecting. Um, So it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat as you're listening. This music was doing a lot of those things. Yeah. And it's so interesting, too, because like I've been listening to the Supernatural Then and Now podcast with Robin Rich, where they interview folks that worked on the show. And one of the things that they keep coming back to so often is that the show, for as much as it is a TV show with like 23 episodes per season, the directors and the set folks and just all the people that worked on it, there's a bajillion, made things very cinematic. Like that's the word that they keep coming back to is so often as nobody told Phil Segresha that this is a TV show and not a major motion picture, you know, (laughs) and it's true. Like, it's so true. Like, that is part of the supernatural experience is that it's always been so cinematic. And so having what you're saying that, like, even the trailer feels very cinematic, you Mm. know, in that way is like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah. With the music. So it fits into that wider. That's really cool. It fits into that wider vibe that they were going for back on Supernatural. I love that. Yeah, and they are starting to really ramp up the things that hit Supernatural fans in the feels. The heart hands in the poster that were Mm -hmm. monster heart hands. And now we have Carry On, just Dean, seeing Dean when we didn't expect to see Dean. Yeah. I sit there and just sort of wonder what we're in store for. Because the Ackleses and Robbie, like, they know us. Yeah. (laughs) They know us. So I'm just like, oh boy, like what what else is coming? They're going to get us, aren't they? (laughs) I I think they're going to do their best to bridge that gap between Mm -hmm. old and new in a way that really resonates with the things that we cared about regarding Supernatural. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that. One of the things that I absolutely did not expect ever was for the song Carry On to ever be to ever find some healing with it like I kind of figured that was a done deal yeah so it's nice to have some hope that maybe I'll be able to listen to it again and not have it be so mixed with hurt and disappointment and death yeah so and trauma and trauma (laughs) my unresolved fictional trauma yes thank you yes But yeah, I think that was part of why I was so excited about it, because I never expected to feel differently about that song ever again either. Mm -hmm. And so to hear it and actually feel excited, I think we've broken down that alchemy a little bit, but it's still quite a feat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So do you want to talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that we saw being discussed on Twitter and sparked a whole two days of conversation between us and DMs? Yeah, okay, so it's an interesting thing. So there was a convention in Kansas City this past weekend, and someone asked Jensen in the J2 panel why Cass was in the Winchesters trailer. And that sparked a whole slew of discourse, the floppy pony all over Twitter and I'm sure (laughs) other social media, because he said essentially that he wasn't sure, he couldn't think of why, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of answering questions with questions. So it's like, okay, does he really not know? Is this him being cagey and working his way around it without admitting anything? And I, who knows? Who knows? But in part of that discourse, what came up was someone mentioned that the cast clip that is in the trailer wasn't just purely from, do I have to call it the mothership? Can we call it something else? From the original show? (laughs) Can we just say original show? I love you so much, Jensen, but I just don't know that I could go with mothership. Um, (laughs) I don't blame you. It's so dorky. (laughs) 
Like, I can't say it with a straight face. I know. I just giggle every time. I'm like, ugh. Um, someone mentioned that it wasn't just straight from Lazarus Rising, that it had been altered a little bit with some distortion. And I was like, really? Yeah. So then I went mm. back and looked and made my own little screen recording and was like, oh, my God. It does. It mm-hmm. has a little split second of distortion, like from a VCR. Yes, and let's explain that for the children. <laughs> yeah, let's explain what a VCR is for, for the kids out there. Back in the olden days, we watched videos on a VCR, which had an actual cassette tape, do basically. Do you know what cassette tapes are, though? I don't know. How much history do we have time for? <laughs> But essentially, it was like running an actual piece of film through a machine. And so sometimes it could have this wavy distortion that would happen on the screen if there was a piece of dust on it or any kind of, I don't know, they were so temperamental. God. Yeah, it was basically like a literal piece of tape, except it wasn't sticky. And Uh so if it ran through where it should be playing and there was damage to it, like it had gotten stretched or there were like you say, dust or scratches, it would affect the actual image. And then the reason that this is significant is because the first time that we see heaven is in season five, episode 16, Dark Side of the Moon. And that's when Sam and Dean are killed and go to heaven. And in heaven, Cass is able to talk to Dean. So the first time he talks to him is through the radio in Baby, because Dean is just sitting in Baby. But then the second time he shows up in one of Sam's memories on a TV and the TV, you can see Cass's face, but it has static behind it, like that white static visually. And then it also does that VCR distortion. Where the lines kind of go up and down Mm -hmm. the screen. That seemed to be like a heaven thing, that kind of distortion. So then it was the rabbit hole of... Okay, so Dean is in heaven, theoretically. That's like the prevailing theory. That's where we left him last, was in heaven. And now we see this split second of Cass with this same VCR distortion, which we had seen with Cass before in season five, Mm -hmm. when Dean was in heaven. So it's like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Um, Because then the other piece of that is that it wasn't just the clip being put in the trailer as like a, oh gosh, why is that in there? The the clip was altered. Mm. That would imply to me there was some sort of purposeful thing that happened to that clip. Right. Somebody did something to it. They didn't just drop it in. They Mm -hmm. dropped it in and created an effect to alter it in some way. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's the same effect that they've used before with communication from Earth to heaven by Cass. A lot of associations there. So you went and started reading the script for Dark Side of the Moon and I just queued up the episode. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched the highlights. And then we started making more of these connections because again, where we last left Dean, he was in heaven he had been at Harvell's and then he drove on a road by himself in baby. Mm-hmm. And there were actually other echoes of Dark Side of the Moon in the finale. We talked about like Sam and pizza boxes and dog. Yep. That was also straight from Dark Side of the Moon. Yes, it was. So there's a lot of interesting parallels. But in Dark Side of the Moon, Dean is in heaven and he manifests there in baby. So same thing there mm-hmm. and is on a road. And so Cass tells him that that road is called the Axis Mundi. It's a path that runs through heaven. Different people see it as different things. For you, it's two-lane asphalt. The road will lead you to the garden. You will find Joshua there. And Joshua can take us to God. What's interesting about it is that the Axis Mundi, like many things in Supernatural, is something that they've taken and kind of made into their own thing a little bit, but it is something that exists in belief systems around the world, basically. And the idea is that there are some places that intersect with heaven in a special way. Oftentimes it's the top of mountains or people will build tall things to kind of reach towards heaven. Um, And those places will become sort of places of intersection between heaven and earth. So that's kind of the wider lore, I guess, surrounding the Axis Mundi. And in Christianity, Jesus himself is looked at as an Axis Mundi because he was both man, so from earth, 
but he was also God, so from heaven. So he had that intersection between earth and heaven within his own person, which I think is kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah. An interesting way of looking at things. From the perspective of the Winchesters and thinking about where they could do and what they could go, I looked up the official Merriam-Webster definition of Axis Mundi or World Axis, and it says a line or stem through the Earth's center connecting its surface to the underworld and the heavens and around which the universe revolves. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking so much about is Dean in heaven? Is he in purgatory? Right. So like, does the Axis Mundi connect all of those realms? Because that would be fun yeah if they're able to find a way to drive kind of the opposite direction of the garden (laughs) (laughs) yeah so then of course you and i talked about the garden throughout season 15 because it was brought up a couple of times and so we had all kinds of thoughts and feelings about what they were doing with the garden i think our thoughts and feelings were much better than what actually (laughs) came out on screen (laughs) Um, yes, I would agree with that because there weren't really any. Yeah. How was it defined? Was it the garden that was the occultum? So, yeah, the way that it kind of worked was that the occultum hid the garden so that nobody could enter. So it was like the garden was in the occultum and it was the occultum. The idea was that there had been nobody in there since the beginning of the exile from the garden. Yeah, that came from Cass, right? So that did come from a reliable source. He said it and then the mysterious girl Mm -hmm. in the garden also said it. She says that this is the garden, man's beginning. You mean Eden? Like Adam and Eve? God loved them so, his prized creations, until he banished them and all of mankind from the perfection of the garden, and he hid it away. So the idea is that nobody has been there since Adam and Eve exited the garden. I guess like up front, the garden is described and framed differently in different eras of supernatural. So that's part of the processing through this. Yes. For me, what was most fresh in my mind, because we'd actually podcasted about it, was the garden in Destiny's Child. There were a lot of differences between that and the garden that's described in Dark Side of the Moon from season mm-hmm. five. So I was really wrestling with it for a while. And then I remembered that this episode was written by Buck Lemming. And I went, oh, (laughs) that's why. Yeah, it was the one with Ruby and NIL that canonically could not be possible at all. Yes. Like, like not at all. There's no way to make that work. There's no way. It it was just, that was such a wild episode. I actually rewatched it last night and I was like, why did they try to do so much in this one episode? Like, why? Anyway, so when I remembered that this was that episode, I was like, oh, okay, that's why stuff doesn't make a ton Mm -hmm. of sense when looking at Dark Side of the Moon and their version of the garden versus this one. In Destiny's Child, it's described as divine in origin, it's powerful, it's potent and sacred and hidden, all those things that Billy says. Um, But it's also the safest place in the world. And it's also called Eden, which is where some of the confusion comes from, because the garden in Dark Side of the Moon is also called the garden and Eden. (laughs) Uh But this is what I find really interesting how these things happen in Supernatural that I don't think anyone intended to happen, but they kind of just do. It's also called by Cass, the crossroads of divinity and humanity, Mm -hmm. which I remember we found like really interesting when we were doing our season 15 podcast. That's what Jack is. He's Mm -hmm. that intersection between the divine through his birth line and human because he was raised as a human by these hunters. And so I think we were finding a lot of hope in that part of him, Mm -hmm. (laughs) having that intersection within him. And I thought at the time it was really interesting that Cass used that to describe Eden, to describe the garden. But (sighs) as I was looking at it here... And thinking about the Axis Mundi, which outside of Supernatural is described as a place where heaven and earth intersect. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is what the garden, what Eden is in <laughs> Destiny's Child. And that's how it's described by Cass. Anyway, 
my brain went in a whole bunch of different places with that. But let's get to the original version of the garden back in season five, episode 16, Dark Side of the Moon. In Dark Side of the Moon, this is still when Zachariah is really trying to push for Dean to say yes to Michael to start the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And so they die and they're in heaven and Zachariah wants to send them back to earth because they can't say yes if they're dead. Right. Cass is saying, no, no, don't let him send you back yet. You're behind the wall. So go find God. Because this is when Cass still had that idea that God would help. Bless his heart. I know. And so they were going through their old memories, which was their heaven and trying to dodge and weave around Zachariah to get to the garden because that's where Cass told them to go. And so as they're bobbing and weaving through and trying to stay ahead of Zachariah and and stay on the road to get to the garden, they run into Ash who saves them from Zachariah and then Ash pulls them into his heaven. Zachariah describes the garden as mission control. He says, do you really think you could sneak past me into mission control? And then Ash describes heaven at that time as Disneyland to where there's a bunch of different individual heavens. So like Ashland, Winchesterland, then there's the Magic Kingdom in the middle, which is where the garden is. And then once they get there, Joshua says that... You see what you want to here. For some, it's God's throne room. For others, it's Eden. You too, I believe it's the Cleveland Botanical Gardens. You came here on a field trip. So it's a garden. Like, yes. And Joshua is described as a gardener. Yes. But it's really unclear, especially with what we come to know of heaven in later seasons, where we see it as kind of like this headquarters. Right. With lots of different areas and rooms and whatever. And the later versions of heaven are so sterile looking. Yeah. So it made me, I guess, wonder if the garden truly is the Garden of Eden, as in this very special original place, or if it was just a room in headquarters, like one of the other many rooms and everybody just sees what they want to see. I think you're right. And like the more that I've thought about this, the more that I'm convinced that they're two separate places because it's all about perception there. You kind of see what you want to see. Mm-hmm. And he never calls it Eden. He says that some people see Eden there right. mm-hmm. and some people see the throne room. If they see the throne room, is it even the throne room? You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. To the point of the Winchesters and what it could potentially mean for the Winchesters, Sam and Dean in this room, whatever it is, wherever it is, are restored back to life. And then in season 15, wherever Jack is, his soul is restored. So he's restored to who he is, Mm -hmm. essentially. In all of this, it's really interesting to think about what they could do with that and like Dean in the Winchesters what his end game is what he is trying to move towards because I have to believe he's trying to move towards something like what is the urgency of understanding his parents history obviously something is literally driving him to move towards something and so I'm thinking a lot of like the metaphor of movement as interior progress as development and how the idea of moving forward maybe being literalized with that preview of him just driving on the road but the idea is there's got to be an end point he's trying to understand more about himself and I think there's so much trauma from his childhood and from things that were held back and things that he didn't understand oftentimes trying to go back and understand or heal from your past even if it's a past that you didn't experience yourself but shaped the people that interacted Mm -hmm. with you can be a really powerful thing to embark upon in terms of like healing yourself yeah so the idea of him moving towards some sort of healing or restoration of some kind makes perfect sense to me with moving along the axis mundi to that garden whichever it is but in either versions it seems to be a healing restorative place Mm -hmm. the pie in the sky thing would be what if he's able to like move there and be restored physically Mm -hmm. what if he's reborn literally but it could also be sort of an analogy for his emotional restoration his emotional healing you know what i mean 
this kind of hard emotional work, mm. Dean tends to be avoidant of, I feel like, yeah. a lot of the time. And that's, I guess, why it's sticking for me. If Dean is doing this just to understand himself and to heal, that in itself is so significant for him as a character and would give us some amazing character growth that we feel got sort of stunted there at the end where it felt like all of his growth and healing was tossed. Yeah, that was part of why I was so mad. Yes. Well, and the other thing about the Dark Side of the Moon episode that I had to just like hold my head in my hands while I was <laughs> watching is that I knew this, but it just hits different now, which is that Ash's heaven is Harvell's. Right. So we see Dean in heaven at Harvell's sitting there talking to Pamela. Pamela has given him the hard sell on like, no, man, this is great. Everything is great here. Death is no big deal. He's like, you know, this place feels real, but it's Memorex. Real is down there. And he described that heaven as lonely. Which is really trippy to hear him talk about sitting in heaven at Harvell's about how he hates it and thinks it's terrible. Right. And that's where we left him at the end of the show. And like, I understand that Bobby framed it as the walls came down. It's no longer just reliving your golden oldies, you know. But at the same time, it still isn't real. Right. I mean, it, Harvell's was still a memory. Right. I was just like, boy, this episode's a lot. <laughs> It is. So to say a lot now. It is. For me, what was trippy about that was I've always felt that heaven was not what heaven should be. Awful. Like yeah. being stuck inside a bunch of your own memories and being a, unable to create new things within mm. that. It's just like an echo of your old self replaying the same thing over and over again. And to me, that always sounded hellish. You know, yep. being trapped. But I had completely forgotten that Dean felt that way about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so for him to sort of say it's like the Matrix and like you need to wake up and get out inside Harvell's. And then the next time that we see Harvell's is when he's dead again. And he's just going along for the ride and taking everything at face value after that earlier Dean had so much trouble Again, like you say, like I know that Bobby said that they fixed everything, but Dean tends to not take stuff at face value. Yeah, and he had spent time with young Sam in a memory that was so meaningful for him. He saw Mary and Mary cut the crusts off his PB&J and, and that was I love hugs. Yeah. That was all that. He got to see his childhood room and that was very powerful for him. And he fought Sam because Sam's like, we got to go. And he was like, a minute, mm. like, give me a minute. Dean doesn't often ask for things for himself. And mm. he was like, no, I am staying here to eat my PB&J and hug my mom. Thank you so much. And Sam was taken aback by it, um, by the whole thing, that whole interaction, because then Mary was on the phone with John. You know, that was when John was gone. And she's like, what do you have to think about? You have two boys at home. And then it was Dean that went in and hugged her. You know, and Sam saying, oh, I didn't realize how long you've been cleaning up dad's messes, mm. you know, and it was really profound Ugh. in terms of understanding Dean and Sam and the different ways that they perceived their childhoods, because all of Sam's memories in heaven were of getting away from John and Dean. It was heavy. And mm. so then after Dean goes to Harvell's and he has this conversation with Pamela where he, he really turns this corner to like, this isn't real and this isn't right. And so then they leave and he sees Mary again. And this time it's, no, you're not real and we have to leave. Yeah. Like he shut it down. I just find it really interesting that in the trailer for the Winchesters, they used that effect of the VCR that's not quite working right mm -hmm. on the footage of Cass. And then Dean on that like long straight road with his car driving. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me how much that connects to this episode and how mm -hmm. much this episode frames things in a really important way in sort of regards to the finale. This is the episode where Dean is like, oh my god, heaven is horrible. Why would anyone want to be there when they can be on earth? We left Dean in heaven driving around aimlessly in the finale and this is where they realize that God doesn't care about what's happening to anyone. He's completely checked out. 
And Dean is like, oh, he's another deadbeat dad. And there are so many questions about why wasn't Jack in the finale? If everything was supposed to be healed, why was it just heaven that was okay? Why wasn't Earth Mm -hmm. okay? And Jack is absent like Chuck was. Dean can't ask him any questions. He's just gone. Yep. So he's another deadbeat god, right? Mm -hmm. If he is even himself, because there are questions about what happened when he took Chuck's powers. So the fact that this brought up so many big points that really seem to resonate with the problems of the finale Mm -hmm. is really interesting to me. What is this meant to indicate for us going forward on the Winchesters? Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Fascinating, not only because, yes, this one effect had us thinking about, oh, where have I seen Cass in this effect before Mm -hmm. bringing us here, which then there's so much about heaven and about Dean and echoes there. But also, this is where we learn about John and Mary's marriage and how it wasn't perfect until she died. Right, right. So it's also this huge framing of, of Mary what and we know yes. yeah, about them. And so it's just, it was one of these, like, I kept watching and it was like, oh my gosh, like there's so much in here that they could play with just from this one little effect. <laughs> right? Here. And it's like, this episode is a, a treasure trove. And then again, like I said before, like we talked about it as part of the reason the finale felt so problematic and weird in our finale analysis episodes you know so like we had already come to this episode for something else entirely so it's just right wild to me one little blip in a trailer doesn't mean that they're doing something with it but it would be really surprising if they weren't considering what Jensen keeps saying about knowing canon and spending so much time going back and thinking about it and looking at it this episode is really really important for what we do know of canon of heaven of John and Mary of Dean and Sam's childhood of Dean's perception of heaven all of these things that's there and I think it's also just kind of reassuring to me that there was intention behind Cass being in that original trailer because Again, it's one thing to just dump in a clip and not realize that you should have taken it out, you know, Mm -hmm. because we talked before about how there was a longer trailer that was presented to an audience and it had different clips of different points from the original series. Mm -hmm. So it makes it less likely to me that somebody forgot to take something out if there's an added effect to it that wasn't in the original. Right. So for what it's worth. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it absolutely could be nothing. It could be that Jensen was absolutely on the straight and narrow when he said, oh, I don't know. But Jensen and I would imagine his team by extension are really good at leaving breadcrumbs. Yes. And Easter eggs. Like that is their whole jam. I don't watch Big Sky, but I've heard some stuff about this week's episodes. Just the master of Easter eggs. And then (laughs) the breadcrumbs that he always leaves. We'll see him in something like The Boys was a great example. I won't spoil anything, but there was a big twist in his storyline there that we realized that he had been talking about the whole time. We just thought he was joking about something else. And it's like, (laughs) dude, dude. So... You know, that's sort of his whole jam. He seems to really love dropping those hints, but in subtle ways that we don't even realize a hint's being dropped sometimes. So I will be intrigued to see what happens and where it goes. Me too. There are a couple of other things that we wanted to touch upon. Part of it was Henry Winchester, so John's dad. And part of it was about Mary. So who do you want to talk about first? Well, the Henry stuff is interesting. I was looking through my phone and my like supernatural folder for something else entirely and stumbled on some screenshots I had from a rewatch I did probably years ago. And in the episode where we meet Henry, which is season eight, episode 12, as time goes by, obviously there's a lot that happens in that episode. That's where we meet him. We learn about his history with John that wasn't what we thought because John thought he abandoned him. That's where we first meet Abaddon and we also find out that the Men of Letters existed. There's so much that happened in that episode that like Henry's always been kind of a blip for me. Apparently, I found this on one of the wiki sites, Henry is the only Winchester to have ever died just once and had it stick. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, that's why he's never on my radar. Poor guy. (laughs) Poor thing. He just died once. Who does that happen to around here? Oh, man. But as he was dying in that episode, 
he is talking to Sam and Dean. He was apologizing for judging them for being hunters. Mm. And he said, You're also Winchesters. As long as we're alive, there's always hope. And that is similar to the line that John says in the trailer that we talked about in our last episode. As long as there's a Winchester alive, there's hope. And I was like, ooh. Yeah, we both felt like it was significant. Mm-hmm. We were trying to talk it through, and we were like, well, there are Winchesters alive. What's... Mm-hmm. But it was it was that. He was echoing his dad without even realizing it, maybe. I'm not sure exactly what the context is for the trailer, but it was this really important moment for Henry Winchester and a moment of, like, bonding with his grandsons Mm -hmm. so for john to echo that kind of language i think that was the significance (laughs) yeah those implied echoes of the men of letters and hunting and all of those things Mm -hmm. john's kind of basically quoting his father which is kind of cool yeah and i can't help that my brain goes to pie in the sky that it's like okay so now if this is a whole thread of winchester's being alive and now we have dean on the axis mundi right I know. <laughs> can, can we just have him alive again, please? Can his journey be leading to being an alive Winchester? Just that would be like really, really nice. That would make me happy. <laughs> I will beg. I will beg. <laughs> Ah, man. The the other thing that I thought was funny about that episode, it was a really funny episode. There was a lot of comedic moments Mm. of Dean like, oh, we just get people time traveling into our motel room closets now. That's where we've come to. (laughs) It made me laugh because it is pretty absurd. Yeah. We learned about the men of letters and we learned about how Henry was a man of letters. And we understood what that meant, that they're like the academics or the researchers or whatever. Yeah. They're talking at the end about how heaven interfered to bring the Winchesters and Campbells together because it's the brains and the brawn. Right. And that's how we got Dean and Sam as this perfect fusion. And like, makes total sense, except I'm sitting there thinking, are we supposed to see John as the brains then? (laughs) Because... (laughs) Like... (laughs) Especially given the trailer. Like, it's just... I gotta say, it's not what comes to mind when I think of John Winchester. Like, I understand that in early Supernatural, he was the one that was putting all the cases together and he has the journal. But bless his heart, John was not a great hunter. I think we come to know that by the end of it. He's framed as the best hunter, especially in those early seasons. It's like, oh, the boys, we just want them out of the way, the kids, so we can get to the real. And now it's like, oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, it took him 20-something years for him to find the thing that he was hunting for. He thought that vampires were extinct. Mm-hmm. He got his partners killed. Mm-hmm. And he ended up dying because he couldn't f- Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> John brings out the profanity. That's fine. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, he couldn't freaking kill the demon that he was after. He tried to keep the boys out of it, but he just wasn't able to do what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, also the other stuff about how horrible he was. Mm-hmm. But we also wanted to talk about Mary. I feel like you and I have very strong feelings about John, as many do. Yes. And so I feel like talking about John and processing through, oh my God, this is a story about John. How are we going to cope? Right. Sort of overshadows things because it is so big and difficult and so we haven't talked about mary much because it's just all (sighs) john johnny so yeah yeah so i felt like it it might be good for us to take a minute to think about our feelings on mary because she is a very complicated character that people also have very strong feelings about but i think in a much different way than john yeah she tends to be quite polarizing I haven't rewatched her later seasons in a long time. I don't feel like I've rewatched them since we've started doing this kind of analysis. So I don't have that same in-depth understanding that I have of some of these other seasons. I mean, what are your thoughts, perceptions on Mary? I think I always liked her better than a lot of people did. Mm -hmm. I think she was a lot younger than Sam when she came back. 
I think that people were seeing the physicality of Sam and feeling that she was mature. And Mary was quite young when her boys died. So I think a lot of the way that they wrote her and played her kind of was in tension with the physicality of a mature Mary. And so I think that's where a lot of the tension was. And somebody actually did a thing on Twitter recently where they de-aged Mary. And it totally Mm -hmm. shifted how I felt about the way that she was speaking and acting to see her younger than her children. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been thinking about that since I saw it and kind of going, oh, yeah. I think people were angry with her because she rejected Dean. Or people felt like she rejected Dean. And I remember being mad at her for that myself because we all want to protect Dean. He's been hurt so many times and abandoned so many times. That's a real trigger point for him. So to have his mom come back and then leave him was rough. And so I think people were feeling protective of him. And that's why they felt the way that they did. But then the British men of letters, we know that Catch exists before we meet him. We know what he's done. We know he's murdered a a child who had psychic powers and no control over them. So we know the kind of organization that the British men of letters is. And then we see Mary leaving her children to go join this organization that is suspect. And I think there was also a lot of angst that came around that. (laughs) Like she's making poor choice after poor choice after poor choice because we as an audience have more of a history than she does, both in terms of knowing Sam and Dean and in terms of we've been given information she doesn't have. So I found I was able to like forgive Mary at the end of that season, but I understand why a lot of people weren't. But in terms of the Mary that we've seen on the Winchesters, I like her so far. And and part of the thing that I like about her is that she has a community. Yeah. John was a solo act. He worked with hunters sometimes, but he never introduced his kids to any of the people that he worked with. He kept them isolated from other hunters. And he didn't share a lot of what he did and how things went, even when they were old enough to really talk to you about that kind of stuff. So they grew up having this very isolated childhood and not being part of a community. It was just them. I mean, Bobby was there, yes, and so was Pastor Jim, but they were in a babysitting capacity rather than being part of a community, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, and the first time we meet Bobby, he wanted to shoot John. Yeah. (laughs) They had fallen out. So Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Wow. Just like John fell out with a hunter that got killed by the vampires when the cult comes into play. He had said, oh, we hadn't talked for a long time. We had a fight. Right. And then there was also the Harvells that he fell out with because of... So, like, you know, John did not get along well with others. Right. But Mary obviously does. Mm -hmm. She has Lathika. She has Carlos. She has this community of people that she can go to for help and assistance when she needs to find her dad. And then John kind of tags along with that. So I like that she's got a community. I like that she's not isolated. I like that it's not just her and her parents because it's healthy to have a community around you no matter what kind of wild demon slaying life you're living. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. like that. And I like that she's tough. And I like that she <laughs> punches John after being punched a bunch of times mm-hmm. and can take care of herself. So that's how I feel. How about you? I have complicated feelings with Mary. It's tough because in this fandom, we love to take things to extremes. So it's like, if you feel this way, then you are this. Right. Which I see happen a lot, especially with Mary. Yeah. Because I know that she is similar to Dean in a lot of ways. So then there's thoughts and feelings of misogyny that come in. If you dislike Mary and it's like, ugh. Supernatural is very much about fathers and sons, right? That's the dynamic that we see over and over and over and over again as fathers and sons. And Mary is one of the few examples of a, a mom, you know, I mean, we have a few of them towards the end. We see Rowena and Crowley. We see Kelly and Jack. But there's not a lot of mom 
dynamic that goes on as a focus in the show. Right. And it's a different dynamic, I think. We view as a society moms differently than dads a lot of the time. Right. But for me personally you know we talk about the show being full of daddy issues because it is Mm -hmm. Uh, there's lots of issues relating to fathers but like my own personal stuff is mommy issues like Mm. that's where my sensitivities and vulnerabilities are and so that influences or informs the way that I view Mary that's what art is we bring our own experiences and that changes our perceptions of things and so absolutely I have a real tough time with her and with the choices that she's made. And when she came back, my issue wasn't that she left. My issue wasn't that she needed space because I absolutely get that. My issue is that she was working with an organization that she knew had tortured her kids because she saw it. (gasps) Oh my gosh. I forgot that. Okay. Yeah. I forgot that part happened. Tony Bevel or whatever, Mick was like, oh, she's not representative of us. Like she went off and is a rebel or whatever, and she'll be handled. But like, I feel that should have rang some warning bells there. It should be like a hard line of like, this organization tortured my kids. So like, that's going to be a pass. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and so that's crap. (laughs) I was never able to get to that place of forgiveness I guess Mm. like I just really held a grudge and I held a grudge because I relate to Dean because of his abandonment wounds you know like that's something that I have in common with him and I knew what he needed when she came back and I knew the feeling of betrayal that he had when not only that she left but then she left to work with folks that had hurt them Mm. you know that's just a really deep and complicated layer of betrayal that you know I have some personal experience with and so it makes my feelings on Mary very complicated that she made a demon deal that influenced her kids. Yeah. That she was not there to protect them because of the demon deal that she made. Just this line of decision making mm. that ultimately hurt her kids mm-hmm. uh, kind of again and again. And I get, I definitely get that she was just trying to find some freedom. She was so locked down as a kid. She had no choice, you know, she she had to stay in the hunting life and that, you know, she was just desperate for some freedom and control in her life. Get it? I'm totally there. But Mm. it's hard for me. I get that Dean has done several of the things that she has done. I just see it differently. And I don't know if that's because of my own experience or what it is. It just is what it is, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting, though, because seeing her in the Winchesters, I don't have quite so complicated feelings about young Mary as I do about older Mary. Right. I feel like it's different from John. Like, John, I'm just pissed at all the way through. So, like, start to finish. Yeah. And so young Mary, I feel like I have a little bit more compassion for, which is interesting. And I'm not even sure where that comes from, but... Well, I think it's the difference between abusiveness and poor decision making because she wasn't abusive to her children while she was alive when they were children and stuff. She loved them and it seems like she tried to do her best by them, but she made some crap decisions before they came along and after they came along. Whereas with John, there was the neglect and the emotional abuse and the parentification of Dean and just so many layers of things that he did that were wrong, you know, alluded to physical abuse. Yeah. So I guess for me, that would be the main difference now that you reminded me that she went to the people that tortured her children. I'd forgotten that. Ooh, mm. I'm having a hard time all over again. <laughs> <laughs> I think... As you said that, we always see Mary, even in flashbacks, even when she does come back, that the day-to-day choices that she makes are kind. Mm. She cuts the crust off the PB&J. She was there. It was John that left. She would give hugs and offer pie. In those day-to-day small moments, she was there. She was kind and she was compassionate and she was loving. It was just she made some big decisions while in distress that had sort of catastrophic consequences. Yes. But for John, it was both. Right. He made big decisions that were terrible. He had offered no comfort in the day to day. 
it was just all bad, really. I mean, every now and again, it seems like he would do something nice, but that's what most abusers do. It's right. not all one thing or another. I guess that's maybe where the difference comes down to for me is I think that Mary really wanted to be a good mom and she really did try. She didn't have enough time to make good choices, I guess. Yeah. In terms of like life choices, because she was so ingrained in the hunter life and she was so desperate to get out of it that she made some really reactive choices. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then after she came back, Again, a a series of bad choices, which is, I think, where most most of the angst comes from. Mm -hmm. And even with her death, I still am like, why were you up in that child's face? Right. Come on. Why? I feel like people in general know that the worst thing you can do when someone's in any kind of meltdown situation is to like get up in their space and ask a lot of questions. Right. I feel like that's just logical. (laughs) Yeah. One other thing that they did in the show that I was really frustrated by, honestly, is that when she died... We got this really lovely montage of these things that she had done with the boys and Castiel and all of the hunters in these day-to-day small, kind moments that they didn't allow us to see when she was alive. And it's like, man, if you would have put this stuff in as we were going, so it wasn't all just down to business. I wish they had humanized her a bit more Mm. while she was alive and they had given us those little snippets of sweetness and kindness and loving care. I felt that too when I saw those excerpts. I was like, wow, it would be nice if we'd had a little bit more of that before she was dead, guys. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I think people might have liked her a little bit better. So I have complicated feelings about her. And I think some of them are about her. Some of them are about my own vulnerabilities. Some of them are about, as you said, being protective of Dean, knowing what his soft spots are, because I share many of them Mm. and feeling like she trounced on it. So that's fair. It'll be interesting to see how I feel about her going through the Winchesters because I really have no idea. You and I keep mentioning like, oh, we should talk about Mary and then we keep forgetting because (laughs) I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The bare bones of what I've gotten from it is that she's a badass but that she's not a lone wolf and Mm -hmm. I think those things I find encouraging about her in this series and it's through her that we bring in a lot of the diversity in the story. Mm-hmm. She is reaching out to a diverse group of people, and I think that speaks to her character. But yeah, we don't really get very much of a sense of who she is other than her job, which is to be a badass and kill stuff. Which, to what we know from Supernatural, she hates and doesn't want to be involved in. Right, except... There was some tension with that, the way that I remember it. I mean, she said she wanted a normal life, but then she went and saved Asa Fox. Right. After the kids were born. And she said she didn't want to be a hunter anymore, but she couldn't stop hunting. Right. She went back into that life almost as soon as she became alive again. So I feel like there were some contradictions there within Mary about what she thought she wanted versus what she actually wanted, which again, like that's very similar to Sam and Dean and the things that they said that they wanted versus what I think in some ways they didn't want. So it'll be interesting to see how Mary is portrayed in this version of things. Yeah, and that's a really good point, the complicated relationship that she is likely to have with hunting. In this life phase, is she trying to figure out what she wants? Is it similar to Sam, who's like, no, I absolutely want out, but in actuality, it's kind of easy to pull him back in. Right. But the other thing I'm kind of hopeful for, it certainly seems like, is that we didn't get a lot of moms in Supernatural, but it seems like we may get more of that kind of dynamic in the Winchesters, like John's mom is a primary character and Mary is searching for her dad, which I would imagine means that her mom is still around somewhere. So 
Yeah. I'd be interested to see that dynamic. Yeah, it's interesting that we haven't heard anything about her character yet. So yeah. it seems, at least from what we've been shown and what's been being talked about, that Mary is pretty independent from her mom. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see if we get to see Deanna the way that we are going to get to see Millie, John's mom. Yeah, lots of interesting things to think about and play with and... There's so much potential. I just am fascinated to see what they decide to run with. Yeah. I think it's been kind of amazing how much more stuff has come up. (laughs) Yeah. We were like, okay, we're done. We'll just start recording once we get actual show. And then all of this stuff happened and we were like, we we need to record another episode. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that we've had the time to do this today. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully people will enjoy what we've brought you. Hmm. I think we'll wrap it there. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. So you can message us and stay up to date with the latest on our Twitter page, which is at the fangirl biz. That's B-I-Z or B-I-Z, depending on where you live in the world. We will see you again next time. And until then, carry on, wayward friends. We love you. Bye. Bye. people talking really loudly in the Uh hallway at the same time as the fire trucks going and it sounded like a really loud doorbell which we don't (laughs) have (laughs) that's a new noise i feel like i've heard all of the noises that your apartment (laughs) makes at this point yeah right i've never heard that noise before Mm -hmm. i don't know what that was that's so weird